Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name is Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we finalise superannuation and talk specifically about withdrawing money from super, what are some of the options you may have, mostly at or during retirement phase, how does it work and revisit some of the tax issues that it may present. If you're new to this, I've done two previous episodes just before which covers the stages of superannuation and some other basics, including spousal contributions, spouse contribution splitting, concessional contributions, non-concessional contributions. We even talk about insurance. So uh, I suggest you go back and listen to those episodes first before coming back to this one, because each of the three-part series builds on knowledge that we've done in the previous episode. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, They can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business advice, structuring and use of multiple entities for tax minimisation or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take as medical professionals or a sounding board on ideas you have on your business. Check out altusfinancial.com.au. So let's get started. Now, if you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, the aim is education, empowerment, and entertainment. Now, in terms of superannuation, I'm in my wealth accumulation phase of my life, and hopefully sometime in the future, I will head down the retirement pathway. So it's important for me to understand how it all works. And when I do research about what preservation age is, etc., what are my options before that and what are my options after that? So in this episode, I'm going to be focusing specifically on the back end of super. What happens when you want to take money out of it and how does it actually work? So we'll talk about early release. We'll talk about transition to retirement schemes. We'll talk about annuities. Um, account-based pensions, etc. And we also talk about some of the tax implications of it. Now, the first sub-question I had was early release of superannuation. Is it actually possible? This is before you reach your preservation age. And in short, yes, it's possible, but there are rules and restrictions that you need to abide by. Now, this is one of the rules and possibilities during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, where basically people who had financial hardship, could access a part of their super. I think it was 10000 before July 2020 and then 10000 again after July 2020 um, to pay off any debts or use it as living expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And there are some compassionate grounds as well on top of that you can access your super for health reasons or personal debt situations. 
So there are four main, you know, situations where you can get early release of your superannuation. Now, I don't think you can get all of it out. You can get some of it out. Number one is there must be a severe financial hardship, like during a pandemic, for example. Number two is you may have a terminal medical condition, in which case you may need some money to pay off any debts so that before you die, you are a little bit more financially stable. But most importantly, the people that you leave behind are also financially stable. Number three is you may have temporary incapacity, in which case you can't work and don't have insurance, or the insurance doesn't cover the entire cost of your recovery. And number four is permanent incapacity. Now, the ATO have a whole dedicated sub-website to this topic of early release of super. So I think it's important and guidelines are always changing. So if you're interested, log on to that and have a read of it. What about withdrawing super to pay off debt? Is that possible? Now, the unfortunate reality is in Australia, most Australians will have some form of debt at retirement age. Now, that's a staggering statistic. And I think this is a tragedy because I sincerely think you should be debt-free most of your life or at least when you reach the age of 50. And I think if you have personal loans, consumer debt loans, mortgages beyond the age of 50, it's a bit of a red flag for me. And I see age 50 as an age at which you really need to think about retirement, really start to shape your retirement plans and have a vision moving forward. Ideally, you should be doing that right from the age of 20. And a lot of people confuse financial independence versus retirement. They're not the same. You can have financial independence and not be retired. But during retirement, you must have financial independence. And that's the main differences. And in my humble view, financial independence is when you have the independence to reduce your work and have some options to work less or not work and do other things you may enjoy a bit more. It doesn't mean you stop working completely all the time. In retirement, you're more likely to gradually stop working as you age more and more. So that's the difference. And in retirement, you must have financial independence. The other thing is, if you reach financial independence, you need to be more conscious about your investment withdrawal strategy because you're likely to have many, many more years to fund your quote-unquote retired life. So you may choose to have a significant portfolio outside of super to bridge that gap between your financial independence stage and when you actually reach the age at which you can touch your super. Now, in retirement, you're closer and closer to death. Let's face it, we're all going to die someday, so there may be less pressure for you to calculate your withdrawals, but of course, this all depends on how much you actually have for retirement in the first place. And generally speaking, once you reach reservation age or retirement age, you can withdraw from your super to pay off any existing debt. Now, when you withdraw money from super, there are three considerations you may wish to think about. Number one is, what is the expected earnings of your super compared to your debt interest rates? This is if you withdraw money to pay off debts. Now, this may be an easy calculation for you. Super earnings rate of 8% per annum compared to interest rates of 4%. 
Therefore, super earnings is better. But it also depends on whether you're in accumulation phase or retirement phase because of the 15% tax payable within super if in accumulation phase. So you need to take into account the tax considerations. And also you're comparing a guaranteed return, i.e. debt reduction, versus variable returns, i.e. investment returns. Number two is, what is your cash flow situation? Now, sometimes you may have no choice but to withdraw some super to pay off your debt, particularly a mortgage. Housing security is a big deal in Australia, especially in 2022. The last thing you want to do is lose your home during retirement. So, if your cash flow situation is poor, then there is no point holding on to super because you need to live your life. You need to eat. You need to pay the bills. Now, I've done a detailed episode about cash flow and line of credit way back in episode 52 if you're interested in those concepts. Number three is how will it affect your Centrelink benefits like aged pension? This is where I think you need to be very careful and get appropriate advice. Your superannuation is assessed as part of the incomes test in order to determine your eligibility for the aged pension. Remember, at this stage, your own home is not considered as part of the aged pension incomes assessment test because your own home doesn't produce an income. So it may be worthwhile to consider paying off your own home such that you qualify for a higher aged pension assessment. Now, my rant on this is quite simple. I think your family home should be considered as part of your asset pool in order to determine your eligibility for aged pension at all. And I think it's frankly ridiculous. I could have a $5 million house and still rely on the aged pension. It's a touchy topic and I'll leave it at that. So those are the four or maybe three things um, you need to consider when taking money out to pay off debts. Now, what happens if you want to pay off debt but you haven't reached preservation age. Now, you can do so if you go into what's called a transition to retirement age scheme. It gives you access to your super to a maximum of 10% per year. And if you're over age 60, it's tax-free. If you're under age 60, you need to pay tax on the pension's income. So then what is this transition to retirement pension? Now, I was speaking with a nurse the other day and she mentioned something about a transition to retirement phase And she's seriously considering uh, doing that in discussions with her financial advisor. It's a forgotten scheme that we don't really talk about, which can be utilised. Because retirement can be anxiety provoking. The question of, do I have enough to retire on, often comes up. And this is when people decide to work after they've reached their preservation age, but still have some access to their super. And it's a steady stream of income. In fact, if you want to do this, you can salary sacrifice your super reduce your taxable income, and then draw on the income from the super in a tax-effective strategy. Otherwise, had you earned that money outside of super, you would have paid marginal tax rates. So let's use an example, albeit a real-life example of a nurse who I was talking to recently. Amy is a nurse who's 62 years old, who's currently working in the hospital system. Now, she's decided to explore the option of a transition to retirement pension because she wants to work less. Currently, she is 0.8 FTE, but she would like to go to 0.4 FTE. She currently earns around $80,000 per year, 
and if she reduces her hours, her income will drop to around $40,000 per year. Gross. This means she needs to supplement the rest using her super. Can she do this? And the answer is yes, but there are some rules. Rule one is Amy has to have reached preservation age. Now, she was born in 1960, which means her preservation age is actually 56 years old, so she's well and truly reached this age. There are tables on the ATO website which details what the preservation age should be based on when you were born. Rule number two is Amy must receive an income of 4 to 10% of a total super balance each year. Now, this is calculated on the 1st of July every year. If Amy decides to transition to retirement partway through the financial year, it's on a pro-rata basis. Rule three is Amy has to pay tax within her super. Remember, it's a TTR, not a full retirement. So she pays 15% tax when money is within super and 10% tax for capital gains if the investment is held for greater than 12 months. So then what about taxation when it comes to TTR? And this is where I got a little bit confused and I think this is where financial advisory firms or an advisor who works with a superannuation fund may be very useful for you. If you're over the age of 60, generally income is tax-free. If you're under the age of 60, there may be tax payable. Again, you need to clarify that point with your advisor. Now, what happens though if you're under 60 when it comes to tax? When you receive a TTR pension payment, it depends on how much of your super has taxable components versus non-taxable components. Suppose your TTR pension is $300,000 in total and 25% was non-taxable and 75% was taxable, then whatever income stream you receive from that 300K will have the same splits in terms of taxation. And it gets super complex, pun intended. So speak to your super fund or financial advisor about the nuances of this scheme. Now, let's go back to Amy's example. Remember, she's 62 and is a nurse and wanting to transition to retire. Let's see how things work out in practical terms. Let's use Amy's example. Remember, she was a 62-year-old nurse that wants to transition to retirement. And let's see how things work out in practical terms. Amy's salary is $80,000, but she wants to reduce to $40,000 and work part-time. And she uses the TTR scheme. On her 0.8 FTE income of 80000 she would have received an after-tax income of around $64,000. On the $40,000 projected income, her after-tax income is around $35,000. Remember, she's planning to go from 0.8 FTE to 0.4. Now, supposing she has around $400,000 in her super, she tells her super she wants to migrate this to the TTR scheme, fills out some paperwork, and usually takes about two to four weeks to implement this. So planning ahead is important so you don't have cash flow problems. Remember, she can withdraw 4 to 10% of a super balance of $400,000. This equates to $16,000 to $40,000 per year, roughly. She already receives after-tax income of $35,000 from her paid income of 0.4 FTE. And we establish she needs a total of $63,000 after-tax income to live comfortably because that's what she currently earns by working 0.8 FTE. So she elects to draw the TTR pension of the difference at $29,000 per year. 
so her total income after tax is still $64,000. 35K is from her employment income, paid work of 0.4 FTE, and $29,000 is from her super. Now, due to COVID-19 pandemic, I think the compulsory withdrawal rates of 4 to 10% may have changed. So just check on the ATO website about that. This episode is correct at the time of recording in June 2022. Now, moving on from TTR to consolidating super accounts. How can you actually do this? This is becoming less and less of a problem compared to many years ago when people had multiple super accounts. I encourage everyone to check via MyGov or ATO if you've lost super sitting in random accounts all over the place and consolidate it. Consolidating your super just means merging all of your super accounts into one account, and this way you pay less fees overall. There are two main ways of doing this. Number one, through your existing super fund, or one of them, or number two, through the MyGov account. Generally speaking, it takes about four weeks, and your details need to match. Now, what are the pros of consolidating super? It's simple, there's less fees, and multiple insurance fees, etc., are also less. Now, this is a downside, as you may miss out on good insurance policies if you close some super funds. Just be careful about that. The things you need to do once you've done that is you've got to notify your employer who your super is now with. Otherwise, any new money may actually go into other super accounts. So this whole process needs to be repeated multiple times. Moving on to when you can access your super, traditionally. If you've reached preservation age, this is determined by when you were born, there are tables on the ATO website which explains this. If you're born before July 1960, preservation age is 55 years old. If you're born after 1964, preservation age is 60 years old. Anywhere in between, there's a table to refer to. And generally, if you're above age 65, generally speaking, you can access all of your super at this stage but there are some conditions, especially if still working part-time or full-time. Now, what happens if you need the money but haven't reached preservation age? Now, I've discussed this earlier about early release of super. There are certain conditions that have to be met. Remember the four conditions in terms of incapacity, financial hardship, or terminal illness. And of course, there's a TTR schemes. We discussed this just before. You can access your super for retirement in select cases if you want to have some flexibility in your work hours. For the purposes of super, the definition of part-time work is 10 hours to 30 hours per week, and the definition of full-time work is anything above 30 hours per week. Now, why does the government impose restrictions on super if it's considered your money? I've thought about this. Let me be clear. Superannuation is your money. It is your entitled money. But because you're using super and it's a tax-advantaged account, and the government controls taxes via the ATO, you have to play by the rules. It's a bit like saying, if you're driving your car down the road, it's your car, your body, and your possessions, but that doesn't give you the right to drive at 100 kilometres per hour down the side street, where the speed limit is only 50 kilometres per hour. Rules are rules. This is why I disagree with the notion, super is my money, so I can do whatever I want with it. Well, no, you can't, because super is your money, which you can utilise to tax advantage of a tax-advantaged nature and take a tax-advantaged positions on investments, which means, as a drawback, you need to play by the rules. Otherwise, 
Just invest outside of super and all the flexibility you want. You can't have all the flexibility of choices and also have all the flexibility of consequences. It doesn't work like that. Next question I had was, how much super can I have and still get access to Centrelink benefits? And that's called the assets test. Now, this is a tricky segment because, you know, rules and regulations are constantly changing. So if you're listening to this episode as of June 2022, it's correct. But if you're listening in the future, let's say in a couple of years from now, you need to make sure you check with Centrelink and check the website to make sure this information is still accurate. Now, generally speaking, the eligibility of the aged pension depends on your assets and income test. Your own home is exempt from the assets test, but it may reduce your aged pension eligibility. Now, that's an important concept to understand. It reduces your eligibility, but you're still eligible. You will qualify for the aged pension at age 65 if born between 1955 and 56, and age 67 and above if born after 1st of Jan 1957. If you're not a homeowner, a single person can still access the full aged pension if you have a super up to $487,000. For couples, it's a combined super of $621,000. If you're a homeowner, a single person can still access the full aged pension if you have a super up to $270,500. And for couples, it's a combined super of $405,000. So when people say homeowners can't access aged pension, that's actually incorrect. It doesn't impair them to access aged pension, but the asset threshold is lowered to access it. What about accessing part pensions? If you're single and non-homeowner, you can have up to $804,000 in your super. If you're a couple and a non-homeowner, you can have up to $1.1 million. If you're a homeowner and are single, you can have up to $588,250. And if you are a couple and homeowners, you can have up to $884,000 and still have some element of your pension paid out. Now, there are some minor differences of couples when they're separated or have illness. You need to specifically check up on that situation for your situation. Now, how much income can you still have and still get access to the pension? As part of the incomes test, Super does have an income stream, so it gets assessed as part of the incomes test. You can still get the full aged pension if you're single and have an income of $180 per fortnight, or if you're a couple and have $320 per fortnight. Now, this is an extremely low income, so the aged pension is designed for survival and it's not a luxury. I do not want anyone to think the aged pension is a comfortable retirement. It's not. It's a social safety net. And I think it needs to be raised to at least the minimum wage. Nothing gives me more grief than to think our elderly have to survive in the age pension when it's not even a living wage. Think about it. The elderly get paid less than the minimum wage. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Now, you can still get part age pension if you're single and earn up to $2,085 per fortnight or for a couple, earn up to $3,192 per fortnight. And if you're a couple living apart due to health reasons, $4,130. 
I was actually quite surprised that you can still get an age pension or part of it if you had this amount of income. So for people getting part pension, it's much more an affordable income to live off. Now, which of these tests do you have to abide by? The incomes test or the assets test? The answer is you're assessed on both. If you qualify under the incomes test and not qualify under the assets test, you still won't get it. It's based on the lower entitlement assessment. And I think that's a fair system. Now, what if you retired and you still want to contribute super? And the answer is yes, you can. This is basically on the following factors. Your age, the type of contributions made, your account balance, when you retired, and are you still working in any capacity? Number one, your age. You can make concessional or non-concessional contributions up to the age of 67, including downsizer contributions. If between age 67 and 70, you can only receive mandatory employer contributions or make downsizer contributions. If you're retired and have less than $300,000 in super, you can still make contributions. And there are work test rules that you need to abide by. You've got to check the ATO website about this specifically. If you're aged between 70 and 74, again, only downsizer contributions and only mandatory employer contributions. You can still contribute if you meet work test requirements. After the age of 75, only mandatory super contributions and downsizer contributions. That's it. There's no work test mechanisms here. Now, how super taxed? Same question. There's accumulation and retirement phases. We did visit this in previous episodes, so it's worth consolidating and going back and listening to that and researching about it. Uh, And also, we're going to talk a little bit about lump sum withdrawals and pension withdrawals as well. That's coming up, I think, after the break. Now, is there a minimum super withdrawal amount in retirement? And the answer is yes. Super is designed so that you benefit from you during retirement. It is not designed to be passed on to your children or dependents or family members. Remember, your will does not include your super. So make sure you have a binding death nomination for your super in case you die. There are minimum super withdrawal requirements when you retire. And here are the rates. If you're age below 65, you need to withdraw 4%. 65 to 74... 5%, 5%, 75 to 79, 6%, 80 to 84, 7%, 85 to 89, 9%, 90 to 94, 11%, and greater than 95, 14%. The basic principle you need to be aware of is the older you get in retirement, the more money you need to withdraw and draw down from your super. Now, this makes sure you don't rely on government entitlements more and more in your retirement and your super becomes a productive asset rather than a store of wealth. Remember, if you spend money, it drives the economy. Back to our fundamentals. The date of calculation of these amounts is usually 1st of July of every year. And if you're doing it midway through financial year, it's calculated based on a pro-rata basis. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is 65 years old and has decided to fully retire. She has a super balance of $800,000. She wants to retire officially on June 30th, 2022. Assuming on July 1st, 2022, her super balance is still $800,000, she'll be required to withdraw as a pension 5% of that amount, which is $40,000 per year. This means for financial year 2022-23, 
she will need to withdraw in pension payments of $40,000 over the course of the year. Now, let's assume the scenario is slightly different. Supposing she wants to retire on the 1st of Jan 2023, that's mid-cycle. This is halfway through the financial year. How will this impact on her pension withdrawals? Supposing on that day her super is still $800,000, and I'm simplifying this, now we need to work out a pro-rata basis how much she needs to withdraw. The calculation becomes 40 grand multiplied by 181 divided by 365, which equates to about $19,835 is what she needs to withdraw in pension for the financial year 2022-23. So it can get complicated and you really need to plan it out well and truly in advance, which means you need to plan from right now. Think about how super can be beneficial for you in retirement. Think about it now. Now, how do you actually withdraw money from super? You need to tell your super. Make sure you meet all requirements of lump sum withdrawals or pension payment withdrawals. And I really don't like the term pension phase. It's not a pension. In my view, a pension is something the government provides as part of a social safety net. A super income stream of retirement should technically be called retirement income stream or super income stream or retirement phase income or something like that. Otherwise, it gets too confusing. And to make matters worse, each super fund may have a different terminology and it still makes it all so confusing. Now, let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue on learning about superannuation and we'll also talk about this specific study called the Retirement Review Income Study. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome back. Now, just another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennial Money Medical, 
We can't do this without them. Whether you're established in your career with a solid income and looking for next steps, or you're after advice about buying into or selling or opening your first practice, Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes to find out more. Now you're retired, what options do you have? Now, there was a really good study commissioned by the, I think it was the Treasury Department, called the Retirement Review Income Study. And this was published in 2020, of all years, and it was commissioned as a result of the recommendation from the Productivity Commission in its report, Superannuation, Assessing Efficiency and Competitiveness. Now, for this study, they considered low-income earners as 22 to 48,000 a year, medium income earners as fifty eight to ninety four thousand dollars a year, and high income earners as anyone above one hundred and twelve thousand dollars per year. And what did they find? Here is a brief summary. They found the current system is quite broad and relatively efficient, and costs are broadly sustainable for now. They took into this statement as the achievement we need to strive for, and the statement was in quote, to deliver adequate standards of living and retirement in an equitable, sustainable, and cohesive way. What they found was financial literacy was generally very poor, and it needs to improve. Now, it's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast episode. And the systems don't interact as they should. The retirement system doesn't interact and coexist with the aged care system, which in turn doesn't interact and coexist with the taxation system. And a lot of people misunderstood the term retirement income. Instead of understanding it as a drawdown of their super to fund their retirement, they thought it was the actual returns of their super performance. So a lot of people also just wanted to retire in dividend income and didn't realise capital can be drawn down too. They recommended the four pillars it should resemble and focus on. Number one, adequacy. Maintaining minimum standards of living for retirees and those standards should be maintained. Number two, equity provide similar outcomes for those in similar need situations. Number three, sustainability should be cost-effective and robust to be sustainable into the future. And number four, cohesion. Encourage personal responsibility and reduce complexity. It should interact with other systems like Medicare, tax and aged care systems. They found as of June 2019, 71% of retirees received some form of aged care pension and 60% of which received full age pension. Majority net worth was tied up in their home and super formed a small percentage of their overall net worth. Now, they also found the superannuation's main purpose, and get this, its main purpose is to fund one's retirement, and as a reward, people get tax incentives for doing so. It is not a mechanism of accumulating wealth. That is, it's not designed to use outside of this scope, i.e. touch your super to buy your own. However, what they did find, that accessing equity from the personal home and using it in a tax-effective way to contribute to the super system may achieve some results in the long term, but not the other way around. That's why I don't like people touching their super to buy their home. They also found the system currently favours those that own homes, It's not a surprise. And they found that, to answer the question, how much money do people need to retire on? They found 65 to 75% of the working year's income is what they need. Now, this fits in with most other studies on this topic. 
And to promote fairness, they thought removing the $450 per month income threshold for super to be guaranteed, that's going to go as of the 1st of July 2022. And they also felt super should be paid on employer contributions during parental leave, which currently doesn't happen, which is insane. And they found extend the superannuation earnings base to include overtime, which currently doesn't happen, which is insane. And they also found better enforcement such that super actually gets paid. I'm for all four of those. They also found the design of the tax concessions within super promotes wealth inequality. That is, people who have wealthy have a significant advantage in sheltering their wealth within super for tax advantage status. The cost of such tax concessions is projected to rise year in, year out. They also predicted the aged care pension costs will fall over next 40 years as superannuation matures into a multi-generational guaranteed retirement planning scheme. And they found that before contribution caps existed, and yes, there has been a time when there was no contribution caps concessionally, when they had higher caps even, some people have accumulated a significant amount of super levels. As of 2018, 11,000 Australians had over $5 million in their super. This means their taxation status is at a significant advantage. Now, I suspect this is probably one of the reasons why there was a recent AFR article about this and plans to curb wealth accumulation within super of greater than $5 million. They also found for people who get franking credits and reduce capital gains tax within super, the 15% tax paid within accumulation phase is actually closer to only 7%. That's very attractive, which is why I'm a big fan of super. So if you're interested in the report in detail, you can download it from the Treasury's website. It's a decent read. I didn't read all of it, but they had a number of recommendations and findings, which is worth noting. I've just included some of them. So what options do you have when you decide to retire? Remember, you have two phases of super, accumulation phase and retirement phase. So when you decide to retire, there are four main options you have. You can either leave money in your super account in the accumulation phase. Number two, you can take all of it or some of it as a lump sum. Number three, move some of your super or all of it into account-based pension, which is another way of drawing down. Or number four, move some or all of your super into an annuity, which is another way of saying fixed income stream. You can choose multiple options as you wish. Often people choose more than one option to get the retirement security in check. Let's look at option one, leave money in super account and accumulation phase. You could do that, but I don't think it's a tax effective way if you're retired. You have to pay 15% tax on the earnings, so why would you do that? You've literally paid taxes all of your life during your working life, so it's time to use money in a tax-effective way. Option two is take all or some of it as a lump sum. Now, we've covered it in earlier in this episode on how to do that. If you've met the withdrawal rules, you can withdraw it tax-free. A lot of people just do this and pay off their mortgage, which the house that they live in. So there is some housing security and remembering your home is not included in the assets test for aged pension eligibility. Option three is move some or all of your super into retirement phase account-based pension. This is when you tell your super fund to move your funds into retirement phase and start drawing down on your super. There is a minimum percentage you need to withdraw, which we've discussed earlier in this episode based on your age. Money in this account is tax-free, that is any earnings within super is tax-free, and any income you get is also tax-free. In this option, you are still vulnerable to market downturns, 
And it depends on when your super is invested and where it's invested. Market volatility is a factor here. An option four is move some or all of your super into an annuity. A lot of people get confused between this and a regular account-based pension income stream. Annuity gives you a fixed rate of return or income and it doesn't matter what the markets do. Market volatility is not a factor here. The income is guaranteed and is always paid. You can get a guaranteed annuity for a fixed income or just for the rest of your life. One problem is you can't easily change your income levels nor the time period once you've decided on it. Annuities are very similar to term deposits. So those are your four options. And that's about it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the three-part series on superannuation. I've gone into a fair bit of detail and remember the transcripts to my recent episodes will be available shortly. So check in to review the transcripts. The best way to use the transcripts is open them up and use Google Chrome to find keywords, which makes it easy to find the relevant information. Hopefully, as more episodes are released, the transcripts will prove useful as a quick reference tool. I've uploaded more than 50 episode transcripts already, and it even goes back to some of the earlier episodes in my past life as DevRucker Personal Finance. Now, here's my final thoughts about Super. I'm a great fan of Super. The whole point of Super is to preserve your retirement strategy and to have a plan for your retirement. I'm not a great fan of using super for purposes other than retirement. And remember, it is your money, but there are tax advantages. So there are some drawbacks when putting money into your super. If you're into financial independence or retiring early, you need to think about how to effectively maximize your super, but at the same time, have some sort of investments outside of super so you can bridge that gap between the time that you reach financial independence and the time that you actually want to fully retire. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. I'll leave a five-star rating on all platforms even better. And please leave a positive review. Now, some of you may be thinking, what's with a croaky voice? Here's why. I got quite sick in June 2022, and I'm now better but my voice hasn't recovered. And that's why the croaky voice. So, apologies in advance. And just remember, the more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical. Until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.